Welcome to Dents in the Darkness, the monthly podcast of the Northeast Collaborative. We empower pastors to lead and launch healthy churches in Northeast America. I'm your host, Tim Madeira from WRGN, and I'm here with NEC's president, Dan Nichols. This month, we're honored to have Mark Dance with us. He recently released a book called Start to Finish, The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life. Now, Mark currently serves as Director of Pastor Wellness for Guidestone Financial Resources. But before that, Mark was a lead pastor and a church planner for 27 years. So he has the unique ability to write about something that he's lived. So, Mark, welcome. We'd like you to share a little bit about your personal story. Thank you, Tim. I'm a pastor cheerleader. That's a, you know, or a Barnabas. But yes, I did uh, pastor churches for 27 years and, and a couple of interims on top of that, which I like to refer to as grand pastoring. And um, it's great to be on this show. You're, you're cheerleaders for those in the Northeast who are pastoring and planning in tough soil. So I hope at the end of this 30 minutes that you are encouraged, every one of you that are listening. Well, I'd love to hear more about your family. We can hear from your accent that you've spent a lot of time in the (laughs) South. (laughs) You know, I I did. I grew up, I was born and raised in Texas, born in Dallas, and I worked there with Guidestone Financial Resources now, which is an arm of the Southern Baptist Convention, but uh, pastored in the South in uh, first in San Antonio, Texas, as a seminary student, and then planted a church in Northeast Tennessee for uh, for ten years in the nineties, when everybody seemed to name their kid Peyton during those during that time. <laughs> Girls, boys, first name, middle name. You're getting that name right. in the in Northeast Tennessee, and um, and our kids were born there. Holly and Brad are uh, thirty and twenty seven. So you broke the mold. <laughs> Broke the mold, and then we uh, were called to an established church in Conway, Arkansas, and we're there for 14 years. Mm. And so our kids grew up there, and they also have a southern accent. So, <laughs> but I've been married. I've been married uh, to my college sweetheart Janet for 36 years. We we were married in the same year. I took a church. And the same year, I took second year Greek, and so that was a it was a hard first year <laughs> to do all those things. So now I get to serve pastors in North America and Canada, inside and outside the SBC, helping them you know start well and stay well, and so they can finish well later on. Well, Mark, I really appreciate this on a personal level because my father has been a pastor for over thirty years. Uh, you know, beyond my lifetime, and he's serving faithfully in West Michigan, but he started out his life in Baytown, Texas, Okay, and he lived in Arkansas for many years. My grandfather had a construction company that built a lot of the infrastructure of Little Rock, and yeah. I also have a ton of family in Tennessee, so you literally just went right through the states <laughs> where I'm like, wow, I've got so many personal connections to those states. That's fantastic. Well, we know that you also make a personal connection, Mark, because of your time spent in ministry. And so when you write a book like Start to Finish, you speak from experience. And you've got it subtitled, The Pastor's Guide to Leading a Resilient Life and Ministry. Now, there's a lot of books that get published every year in the United States, What's important about this for our listeners to know? 
Yeah, that and I had answered that question before I actually started writing the book. Do we need another Christian book, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> and so it was actually in a cabin in North Arkansas as I was pastoring. As I took some time off and was doing some fasting and praying and just reading scripture. And the great commandment came alive to me. I taught it. Everybody listening to this has taught it. You know what it is. The scribe who asked Jesus what the greatest commandment was, he knew what it was. He'd said it twice a day his whole life as his parents and grandparents had. But what came alive to me was I looked at my calendar and it did not reflect most important. You know, mm-hmm. it did, you know, first and greatest, or your translation say most important and greatest, uh, protos, megos. There's nothing more important in my life or in my ministry than I need to do than, than love God. So I rearranged my calendar so that I started every day like I had as a teenager. And now 20 years into ministry, I recalibrated, reset my schedule so that I'd start every day with Jesus and then end every day with my second covenant, my nearest one, my nearest neighbor, which that's all neighbor means, the nearest one, is Janet. Mm. And so if I, I figure that as a pastor, as a person – if I can keep those two relationship covenants intact, my first love and second love, my king and queen, so to speak, then the rest of my life would be would be set. And so I started writing about this first in blog post and then initially a draft. It took me th- over three years, mm-hmm. but the whole book's based on those two commandments. Mm. I, you just hit me right between the eyes, right from the get-go, when you said, I looked at my calendar, I looked at my schedule, and said, am I prioritizing the things that I need to? Because it is so easy for the busyness of life to take over the ministry that we've been called to. Yes. You know, in ministry, it's hard to discern, and it's up to us to discern what's more important, because everybody has a different definition of what's important, right? Mm. And there's never in in the 36 years I've served in ministry, never been a time where pastor's been as vulnerable because he's never been this accessible before. Mm-hmm. I mean, you know, we didn't even have cell phones when I started ministry, when I started pastoring in 1987. And now you can DM me. I mean, you, there's so many ways to get hold of me. And so what I had to do was I had to prioritize relationships that God said prioritize, that everyone's equally important in God's eyes, but I'm not God. And so he created this pecking order for me. And that really was what the book is about, starting with him, obviously. And he says, okay, the most important thing you've got to do today, this week, the rest of your life is to love me with your heart, soul, mind, and strength. So I I take those components, that whole life discipleship, as Dan and I were talking pre-show, those have been laid out from the beginning. Moses and Jesus say, this is the most important thing. We need to listen, right? Mm, And yet they overlap quite a bit. And so the key word of the great commandment is all. All of me, all of my heart, soul, mind, and strength. That includes my calendar. (laughs) Yeah, so that's it. That's exactly. And and the last last word of the great commandment, self. So managing yourself is also a part of, of that. I remember at one of our retreats, uh, Ben Rudolph, who's a pastor in Charlotte, was talking about this conversation between God and Moses, where Moses says, God, we, we don't want to go to the promised land if you don't go with us. Right. And that concept always s- stuck with me. Like, 
it, whether it's ministry success or, you know, whatever we're, we're filling our calendars with, as you just said, do we want whatever we're filling our calendars with if God's not in it? Mm. <laughs> yeah. Mm. And that has been such a challenge for me. And I found there are corners of my heart and there are parts of my calendar where it's like, yeah, I'm chasing things that are for God, but yet if I got those things, but God wasn't involved, what would I still be happy about it? And that has really challenged me. And I know it challenged all the pastors that were at that retreat too. Mm. That's good. We don't want the promised land without your presence. Yeah. yeah. And it is good for us to be challenged like that. I know that at times, as I said, it hits us between the eyes and we do, you know, it makes us a little uncomfortable. But being uncomfortable is not necessarily a bad thing because it makes us reevaluate, as you did, Mark, and the impetus for this book. Now, you use a phrase in the book about a pastor's holistic health. What is holistic health and why does it matter? Holistics is basically comprehensive as opposed to compartmentalized. And that's mm. where Western minds, we tend to compartmentalize our life. You know, I'm okay spiritually, but mentally I'm not okay or physically I'm not okay. We don't have that luxury in scripture. It is, they're used interchangeably so much. That second chapter really dives deep into that theological aspect of it because uh, mental health ought to be just as important as the spiritual health, and they are related because you, your brain's part of your body, right? Yeah. And it's 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 uh, your mind is mentioned uh, in the Old Testament in Hebrew. Uh, a heart usually is what is connected to the thinking. Hmm. You think from your heart in the Old Testament, which is why in the original Shema you you don't have mind in there because it's assumed. Hmm. Um, in the New Testament, a Greek. Western thinking, you know, added Jesus added mind, so heart, soul, mind, and strength. But also physically, if physically, if you if you're not sleeping well, if you're physically going through a challenge, it's going to mess with your mind. It's going to discourage you spiritually. Uh, it's the same, and so fatigue can set in in these er- different areas it's so subtly. But the whole life, holistic comprehensive however you want to call it just that's what the all is about Mm. is every part of me needs to surrender to jesus every day whether i feel like it or not Mm. because one of the secrets that that me i want you guys to know i want everybody listening to know i'm not talking about legalism or perfectionism here that's Mm. that's idolatry nobody listening to this who's serving in ministry is in a constant state of revival. Mm, that's true. And there's nobody that's who's so married listening to this. Who's in a constant state of honeymoon. Mm-hmm. So we're not talking about, Hey, I'm, you know, Hey, so I get somebody else making me feel guilty and tell me to have my quiet time and date my wife. The, the thing is when, when God says, okay, these are, these are the relationships that are most important and you need to demote people along the way in order to prioritize those. So whenever Jesus gets ahead of Janet, I've got to demote her. Mm. The kids, when they were younger, they got, you know, more important. And I stopped dating my wife. I needed to demote my kids. The very first thing in Genesis 2 is the secret to marriage is demote your parents. Break up with your parents. Mm -hmm. You know, you're not going to pursue your spouse. Basically, it says, leave your parents, pursue your spouse. That's what that word means. Mm -hmm. And so you can't do one unless you do the other. 
Mm. And that's what we actually need to do as church members and everyone else is put them in the proper place. And by demoting them, we're actually discipling them and showing them how to have the those relationship priorities. And if we have the relationship priorities and we are the great commandment pastors we want to be, we're going to be great commission pastors because mm. I've never met a great commandment pastor that wasn't a great commission pastor. pastor. Mm. Right. But I've met a lot of great commission pastors that aren't great commandment pastors. That was my favorite part of the book, what, how, you, how you worded that, because that is such a plague in my own heart, in my own life, where I feel like that drive to be that great commission pastor, yeah. or even as the Ferguson brothers have coined the phrase, the great collaboration pastor, you know, the John 17, like that's a big part of what we do at NAC is like bringing people together. But the great collaboration, the great commission can't overtake the great commandment. And if you get the great commandment right, the other the others will yeah. follow. Mm. That's right. Mm. It's good. And as we're looking even in the scriptures at the book of Titus, where it lists the qualifications for a pastor, for leadership, it hits on the things that you're talking about as a holistic, because it not only talks about his understand in fact, it starts with his his relationship with his wife. And then it goes to the family, then it goes to being a faithful steward, then it goes to being humble, and then it goes to being sober, not drunk, not a glutton. I mean, it it hits on the holistic aspect of leadership, doesn't it? Yeah. In fact, the whole list in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3 are all character traits except for one, you know, the preaching. Mm -hmm. And they apply to all the leaders. I mean, everything that he says to, to pastors, he says to deacons and elders, except, well, you guys don't have to preach, but, you know, that's the only difference. And I don't know of another profession on the whole planet that requires that you, you're successful at both work and home mm-hmm. and, and that have our, our, our spouse and our kids and our job description is non-negotiable. And not only managing your home, you can't. You're not qualified to manage God's house unless you manage your own. Before that, you have to manage yourself, which again goes back to the great commandment. Where does it start? In your heart. Mm. And then where next? In your home. You'll put it around the walls and then you go to the city gates. And so many, including my tribe of Baptists, we focus hyper focus on reaching the next lost person, which is awesome. And we go straight to the city gates and we forget to check our hearts in our home first. How do we strike that balance where we don't, as you started earlier saying about being legalistic about this and and being more holistic, where we understand that we're going to fail, but we can, the subtitle of your book, be resilient leaders? Yeah. First, admitting that you're going to have bad days. Uh, this mentoring conversation in First, Second Timothy, and Titus. You know, these are pastoral epistles. This is Paul giving great advice, which he he gives also in Acts twenty when he says to Timothy and the elders in Ephesus, he says, "Pay attention." Acts twenty twenty eight. Pay close attention. Watch carefully your life and your flock. And then he uses the same terms in his follow up letter, First Timothy four sixteen. Pay attention. You know, pay attention to your life. That's the second time he tells him to pay attention to his life first. Mm. But this time he says, pay attention to your life and your doctrine. So paying attention to our doctrine and our flock are kind of things we learn at at school. Mm -hmm. And then a lot of conferences cover that. But the pay attention to your life is why I wrote this book. I want to help ministers and their advocates pay attention to their life. As you pointed out, Tim, these are the things in Titus 1 and in in first timothy three these are life 
thinks. Most of, most of our friends that aren't in the ministry are not because they went off the deep end theologically or they neglected their flock. It's, it had something to do with their life, right? Yeah. Most of the time. Yeah. So how can we create or inspire more Barnabases? This is a real passion of mine because my demon final project was on biblical encouragement. So I spent lots of ink time on Barnabas, loved the section in chapter 10 uh, on Barnabas. So I highly recommend de- definitely the book. But if you're only going to read one chapter, go to chapter 10 and read about Barnabas. <laughs> we need more Barnabases so badly. How can we foster more of that today? Yeah, there's so much negative. It takes intentionality. That's a that's a great question, Dan, because uh, even as I drove to work today, I pray, God, help me to encourage people that I connect with. Some yeah. are in, in the building here at Guidestone. Um, we have guests coming in today that I got to speak to. I get to, through you, speak to other pastors. And I think, okay, all the negative things we're going to hear about, even in, within Christianity or within our particular tribe, uh, there's so much negative in that is where people gravitate their conversation. And what we want to be is we want to be that salt and light and bring encouragement because there's nothing in that book. There may be some creative this and that, but there's nothing new in that book. All right. Mm. And there's nothing new on this podcast. They haven't heard before. Mm. What we're doing is encouraging them to do what they already know to do. And encouragement means to, it literally means to edifies to build up. And for a guy named Joseph, to get a nickname that's stuck like that, Barnabas means son of encouragement, is like, I can be a son of encouragement by helping people to find hope. Yeah. Because there's people that are struggling with their kids. There are people that are struggling with their marriage. Some are dealing with health, physical health issues or mental health issues. And we can be a voice of hope, not to fix them. Right. Because that that makes us enablers. Mm. But but we can help them to get unstuck by pointing them in the right direction and connecting them with a ministry like yours mm-hmm. or with a or with another minister that's close by that they didn't know about or encourage them to find a mentor. Because you, you asked Dan about what you can do right now. Everybody here can find somebody that's roughly 10 years older than they are in the same profession. Yeah, you can encourage them, you know. They, they've already stepped on those landmines or they've already raised those kids. And so you, the mentor doesn't go around asking for mentees. It's the other way around. Mm. So find somebody that, that, and you initiate it and say, hey, would you meet once a month? Let's read a book together, soft agenda. Mm-hmm. And it takes a while to get real personal, right? It just takes a while. But find somebody that will disciple you because it's inexcusable for a disciple maker not to be discipled. And I rarely find a pastor who, who can name a person who is discipling them that's helped, which just means helps them grow. Mm, really? so there's all, all kinds of ways to disciple somebody, but the one-on-one is the gold standard of discipleship. I'm not talking about a group. You get a group of pastors together, then they're going to, they're not going to share intimate anything. Mm. Right. Well, that's one of the things we've been breaking down those barriers here in the Northeast, because um, even though it's the most unchurched, unreached post-Christian corner of the nation, uh-huh. uh, the competitive mindset, between churches and pastors has been really intense. So within Northeast Collaborative, one of the, the one of the ways we've found to break down those barriers where pastors are vulnerable. I mean, we just had at one of our cohorts. I mean, basically what we do is we get pastors together and all they do is share their story. 
Mm. It is so easy to demonize from a distance, but when yeah. you hear another pastor's story in your own city, you yeah. go, Oh, oh my gosh. Like he went through the same stuff I went through and you know, but it takes time. Yes. It takes years and it takes that willingness to be vulnerable and say, Hey guys, like, I don't need to enter the room acting like I have it all together or our church is booming or growing or, you know, and, and so much of this, um, competitive mindset and culture that we've had, I think has been fostered by our critic culture. We have a Christian yes. critic culture yes. that is the opposite of biblical encouragement. And what I found in my study is biblical encouragement is a spiritual discipline that mm -hmm. we've completely left out of the list of spiritual disciplines. <laughs> we have all these yeah. other spiritual disciplines, but biblical encouragement is giving courage to someone else to be who God has made them to be and to do what God's calling them to do. So instead of courage givers, we've been courage sucker outers, <laughs> which isn't a word, but. <laughs> well, I like the now. way you put it too, Mark, because you're talking about the mentee actually seeking out a mentor looking mm. for someone that that they see as uh, setting the example of Titus or or the Barnabas and saying I, I need that person in my life and it may be a person who's in a church right down the street but they're not competitors they're teammates yes yes you definitely need a cheerleader and you know basically a cussing buddy you need somebody that you can feel safe <laughs> to say anything. <laughs> and, and I don't mean that metaphorically, by the way. I mean, there's just times. <laughs> <laughs> oh, the, the old time Baptist in me is saying you should, but go ahead. Yeah, no, no, oh, no. I know. Okay. Yeah, yeah. You no, already figured no, out. I got okay. Mark's back here because, like, <laughs> scubala was essentially a cuss word, and it's an inspired scripture. So we're just going to go with that. We're just going to roll with that. Hey, that's right, man. Paul told Philetus his teaching was like gangrene. Uh, so <laughs> anyway. But somebody who's not impressed or intimidated by you mm. is is important, and it can, and that could be somebody closer to your age, because you need that that friendship as well. Isolation, I I believe, is the most preventable challenge a pastor has. Ooh, and I know I'm that I know, good. Mark, say, say that again. again. And I know I know who I'm talking to, so I know that you're spread out there. You know, it's the same in the West Coast and in, in other areas. Isolation is the most preventable challenge for pastors out there and here's why because it is a challenge and it is dangerous and is a scheme of the devil but there are people there are people that would fall over themselves to help you if you asked mm. some of them are church members which involves yes. some risk but i was told in the 80s when i became a senior pastor don't make friends with church members and then i looked and looked in scripture couldn't find that anywhere and i thought that's stupid and then don't make friends with staff members. Well, yeah, there's complications to that, but life's way too hard. Ministry's way too hard to do it alone. And so, yeah, it might Amen. be more ideal if they're not on the org chart or if they're not on your membership list. But however dangerous you think it is for you, double that for your wife. Mm. If you're a man, double that for your wife. Make sure that as you manage your home that she has – at least one friend, because some of them, introverts don't need a bunch of friends. Mm -hmm. So at least somebody that they can trust that will, that again, is not intimidated, not in competition, that's really a safe place, and then foster those relationships. Be be the person that keeps them going because life and ministry is not going to slow down. You have to You have to budget that time. Because that's part of self-care, which is, I say in the book, 
you know, it's self-care strategic. It's not selfish. And when you mm. spend time with friends, you spend time with your wife, it feels selfish sometimes, but it's not. It's strategic to your to life you finishing yeah. your your life. And sometimes we become toxic without knowing. Mm. Right. You, you mentioned all the negative out there is a toxic culture. Do, I'm going to just a challenge for anyone listening is do a little social media audit, self audit of yourself. Go, go to the last month, two months of whatever your channels are and say, what did I say? Not just did I not say anything stupid, but when was the, when was the, <laughs> when was the my criteria, Mark? <laughs> but if you really want to be a son of encouragement, you really want to be a Barnabas. Yeah. How many times have you applauded somebody on social media? Yes. That, that, that won't or can't reciprocate. You're just saying, hey, good job to another church, another wow. minister, another ministry. And just, you know, I believe that that moves the kingdom needle forward. Yeah, I, I saw a ministry leader who uh, under uh, anniversary posts mm -hmm. would write, thank you for your faithfulness. Yes, and I started doing that now with couples who've been married, you know, 10, 20, 30 years, you know, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you for your, and it's every time I do it, it's a reminder to me yes. to stay faithful to my wife that like, mm -hmm. I'm so thrilled that there are couples in ministry who are staying together, loving each other and out and not in vocational ministry as well. And I, it helps me because when you dish out your, it, you know, it's, it's the proverb, right? Like he who wants to be refreshed will refresh others. That's right. That's exactly That's right. the principle that you're talking about. But in digital spaces, it's so hard because everything about social media is jealousy. I mean, it, if you haven't watched Social Dilemma on Netflix, every ministry leader needs to watch The Social Dilemma on Netflix. And the whole driving force of everything that social media is, is to provoke a, oh, I don't have that. Comparison. Or, oh, I want that. Yeah, it's it's all about the flesh and it has very little to do with the spirit, but we can redeem social media spaces. Yes. And like, but the grid that I use for my posts is I want everything I put on social media to be one of two things. They start with E encouraging or engaging. Like okay. I'm not saying pastors can't talk about tough stuff on social media. I'm saying make it in an engaging way rather than a condemning way. Mm, so engage thoughtfully, but encouragement should be the, the vast bulk of it. Mm. I love doing these podcasts. I always learn so much, and I appreciate you taking the time to be with us, Mark. The book is called Start to Finish, and I want to give our listeners an opportunity to be able to find the book, where's the best place for them to go, and to contact you if they need to. Absolutely. Thank you for saying that. You can buy the book anywhere. Books are sold. And so they change prices daily, as you know, with anything else. Uh, I mean, if you, unless you're doing bulk orders, uh, Lifeway does the bulk orders with big discounts and it is a Lifeway B&H book, but it, uh, it's sold everywhere. And there's also an audible version and there it's coming out in Korean and Spanish. Wow. Great. Um, so I'm thankful for that. It's only been out a quarter. And so I'm, I'm grateful that, that people are being encouraged by it and, and they're using it mostly in small cohorts of other ministers mm, encouraging each, each other. And mm. so that's that's been a huge blessing to hear those stories. Now, how can they get in contact with you or where's the best place? I know you've got blogs yeah. and, and those types of things. Yeah, I'm not hard to find. My, you know, D Dance is a pretty unique name for a Baptist preacher. <laughs> but, <laughs> uh, but the, so you know how to find people. But my direct 
line of contact would be my email, uh, mark.dance, mark.dance, my name, at guidestone.org. Well, we'll make sure we put that in the show notes. Before we wrap up, though, we always like to ask how we can pray for you and your family and your ministry. Yeah, thank you for that. I want to live out the pastor wellness message that I preach because this is all so much easier for me to talk about than to do. Every day, you know, I make this have to make decisions about what I'm going to eat and how to treat my body because that's part of my public witness and private commitment. How I'm going to grow my marriage and connect with my adult kids and all the things that are hard for everybody else are just as hard for me. And uh, I want my love for Jesus to keep keep growing and to finish well. I know that sounds generic and even corny, hmm. but it's it, this to me is a is a mission to help as many pastors finish as possible. But in doing so, and the blessing of being able to do this, um, I know that the enemy would love to take me down. Mm. I mean, I, I'd, I'd be going after me hard if I was him, mm. right? And so he's he's he wants to take us out, mm-hmm. and and I want us to finish well. And so that's that's the mission I'm on, and I I love it. But to finish well myself, you know, means I need to manage my own life and continue to do that. Thankfully, so far so good. But constant yes, vigilance, you, right? Vigilance, yeah. yeah. I mean, pay pay close attention. So uh, that's pretty clear language right there. I I don't want to get my eyes off the ball and and get distracted by uh books and social media and the celebrity culture that that is often you know fed by applause and attention and all that kind of stuff Mm. it's it's just i've i've seen too many ministers fail so close to the finish line that's what's Mm. scary i really thought I would eventually, I assumed that I would age out of all the stupid things, right? <laughs> and uh, and then I'd see somebody else fail who's in their 60s or 70s. I'm like, dang, man. We don't grow out of stupidity, do we, Mark? <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Oh, man. Well, I appreciate you coming on. All the encouragement that you have given here is what Northeast Collaborative is all about. We want to connect you as leaders with the resources and the people that can help you in ministry as we help you to lead and launch healthy churches here in the Northeast. As always, all the resources mentioned in today's show will be found in the show notes. And if something you heard in today's podcast was encouraging to you, make sure you share it with someone else who might be helped by what we do. 